0: all right well welcome to the podcast this is the on the level leadership podcast where we talk about leadership and its impact on individuals but also on organizations and although we've been online now for a few months uh, where i've uploaded youtube content to my podcast uh, to my podcast channel this is the first time we're welcoming an actual person a real guest so i want to welcome miss amber bennett who joins us from australia um amber's been for the last 20 years has worked in different sectors uh, globally and has worked with teams on every continent and um, has worked with 10 sectors with leaders at every level. And uh, she's observed, she has been to actually three countries. I'd love to hear about that experience and observed, met and learned from many different people along the way. She loves to see the gifts that people have uh, within themselves and hearing their stories. Her mission is to help bring global and intergalactic peace, which I love, uh, Mm -hmm. inspiring and guiding leaders to create our future. So welcome, Amber, to the podcast. I really wanted to say thank you for taking the time to to be here today.
1: Thanks, Tommy. I feel so honoured that I'm your first guest. Thank (laughs) you you for asking me. It's uh, really kind of you. And uh, I can't wait to see how our our chat evolves.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a real kind of easygoing chat about leadership and our joint yeah. experiences about how important leadership is in the organizations that we work with and for and I'd love to hear what um, sort of what your, your your main your main sort of perspective on leadership or sort of some of the, some of the key learnings that you've had over your very extensive career um, So t- tell me when when we say the word leadership, what's sort of the first thing that comes to mind for you? what's the thing that kind of drives home for you the impo- what, what leadership is? From your perspective?
1: Uh quite honestly, it's the simple notion of creating an environment and culture where your team believes that anything is possible. I when I was nine years old, it's actually my grandpa's birthday today. Um, he birthday. Passed, yeah, he passed away six years ago from Parkinson's. When I was um, nine years old, I picked up a discus for the first time. I'm talking about my first experience of leadership and this example of anything is possible. So I picked up okay. a discus for the first time, 315 15 meters, and then six months later, I threw doubled that, 330 30 meters, and won the state championships. Which just looking back now, it blows my mind in my little pink, pink Dunlop shoes. Yeah, and it was his belief and commitment and my whole family that actually, you know, I had that natural ability. But it was their leadership that actually got me across the line. It was their commitment and support. So I've always tried to, and I've faltered. I think everyone does in leadership, but that the best times have probably been too gung-ho, but yeah. um. It's just cultivating that environment where people can believe anything is possible, whether it's the vision um, for the company or the brand or the business and the, to cult, cult, be, uh, support them in believing that anything is possible for themselves. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the purest form of leadership and that's mm-hmm. how you achieve big things and, um, Yeah.
0: It's interesting you say that because you and I both share uh, a bit of a, an interest in the Disney World. As you can see from my p- pathway behind there, I've been yeah. following for many years. And one of the things he used to say apparently was, "It's fun. Kind of, it's kind of fun to do the impossible." And it was sort of his way of bringing his people on board with his vision and getting them excited about this impossible thing that they're trying to do, yep. and having them think outside the box. So that that really resonates with me. As a leader for yourself, as you kind of grew into your own leadership, kind of where did this continue to, to where did this continue to show up for you as you started to grow in your own leadership over time?
1: Well, it was just like anything that I've worked on. I've always been like, what is the biggest, craziest, like how come yeah, I know I know you love the saying go big. I've yeah. always thought, okay, that's where my brain always goes. Like right. what is not the best case scenario? Like what is the craziest ass scenario? You know, right? Um, maybe sometimes too crazy. I don't know. Can you be too crazy? <laughs> um, and it takes me back to this gung ho Amber. Like I think when I was a young leader, I like I worked my ass off, and I maybe had this expectation of my team to do the same. But you know that they had their their different different ways. So it's like as I grew, it's like okay. You have to understand the dynamic and the different nature of um, how people work and leverage their strengths. And mm-hmm. if they're creative, do they need more time? And if they're analytical, do I need to train them on numbers? But putting all those pieces of that puzzle together um, as a leader to, you know, move towards a common goal. So, yeah, that thread has literally run through my whole career. It's like how can this um go off the charts basically
0: (laughs) so it sounds to me as though one of your passions then is sort of creating this healthy and sort of dynamic work culture which these are components of so when when you worked for large organizations what were some of the what were some of the I would say the, the good things that you learned but I would also say what were some of the challenges that you felt you needed to sort of overcome as a leader especially as a woman I would say
1: um do you want to
0: talk about Disney? <laughs> I mean, we can okay. talk about whatever companies you worked for. I mean, I know that yeah. you worked for Disney, Marvel, and a few others, but without naming names per se, like what yeah. what were some of the what were some of the challenges that you experienced? Because, I mean, yeah. every company has them, right? I don't care who the, who what company you are on the planet, you all yeah. have issues. Even the best cultured organization yeah. still has that toxic leader in there somewhere, right? So, yeah. what were some of the challenges that you experienced and things you had to kind of maybe overcome?
1: And the good stuff. You taught, I think you were yeah, and in between the good about. stuff
0: exactly yeah.
1: <laughs> So I worked for a small like I've done small I've done big, global and um, everything in between. and uh, my experience of um, a small agency I work for mm-hmm. was the agile nature, the nimble nature of just getting stuff done. make it happen it was like the pack was running hard together you know because we had uh not a finite amount of resources like it was enough to do the job but it was a lean team and it was a lean machine and someone would go to a meeting and you pick up someone uh, someone else's brand and you pitch it for them so it was a very like supportive culture it wasn't competitively reward driven which I think I think sometimes it actually impacts the dynamics of teams if it's like you've got solo a solo reward scheme I don't agree with that at all um and so yeah it was just very very supportive and it was all hands on deck right um and my experience of global is the power of resources (laughs) um and how that can help you tell a story communicate a vision when you do have access to those resources anyone knows that in big organizations the biggest challenge is breaking down silos
0: yeah
1: you know like and i've been part like when i was in high school in my last year of high school i was in 16 teams so i had that like grassroots of i mean it's small teams but it's still leadership and a team dynamic so i had that grassroots experience of like you know a team working together towards a common goal and then in when i was in small business because we were um, we were small, but we were working externally with partners. So, you know, it might be a hundred partners at a time within different categories. So like a brand owner, um, you know, a retailer that has the end product, the people that make the product and having to to be like a cat herder and bringing mm-hmm. all those people together um, was a really good training ground for going into corporate and breaking down silos um so and and you know when I was at Disney it was like um they had a president that had very much the same philosophy Mm -hmm. so you know you know you know what it's like there's so many divisions there but he implemented this um this structure where someone would work right, right across function, because there's so many brands as well, they work right across function to actually lead the strategy for that particular brand or that particular initiative. And that cross uh, cross-silo approach would filter through culturally, which actually ultimately um, enhance the delivery across the company. So but still, you know, it's just you've still got chains of command to go yeah. through. Um, so I was just it was all about relationships. I hit the floor. Um, and again, that same philosophy, like everyone gets excited if there's someone that's juiced and thinks something's possible. Um so Yeah. yeah.
0: I think I think that was one of my um my biggest things well actually if you if you watch my channel you'll see and you'll hear me say over and over again how leadership is not positional it's relational so it's all about mm-hmm. the relationships with people and the conversations you're having on a daily basis and um like i have a client right now who's sort of wondering how she's bridging to a new position a new senior manager position it's not an executive position but nonetheless she's like you know I'm gonna have this new team and how do i how do I set the tone? And it was sort of, you know, how do you set the tone? Well, it's about relationship. It's about establishing mm. communications and opening those lines. So that's that's impressive that you're well, not impressive, but that it's it's it makes sense to me that you would have noticed that this importance of communication and breaking mm. down the silos and establishing mm. relationships would have been a key component to your successes and success of the organization. that's
1: mm. particularly that's when, like the root of the learning came from not being in a vertical business yeah it was it was someone else's product right you know? so you were like like an extension of them you right. didn't necessarily have the authority that they do do you know mm-hmm. what I mean yeah like it was like like sometimes I'd get bypassed and I'm like oh here we go <laughs> I'm like good on you for having a crack that's fine <laughs> yeah um, but it's like you know, you were communicating a vision that was effective, effectively someone else's. So you had to respect that and deliver on that as their partner with all these other external partners. Now, just talking about it, it was like it was the best training ground, and um, it also it also exposed me to. And again, this is just about. Um, you know, as if for anyone listening, as a leader is is in your growth is like understand understanding like different cultures and the way different people mm-hmm. work. And Tammy, I know you're keen on leaders being globally conscious if yeah. they want to learn like best practice or be in the know, depending on the, the nature of their role. Um, but I got to work with like. Latin America and, like, all the different continents and just see how they approach things differently and the the, the, the different sort of value that they bring to um, the table, whether they're, like, super create, creative or hardcore workers. And I know you're big on flexibility. And um, it really taught me how to be, I guess, flexible and, again, how to... Um, I guess leverage different strengths. So, like when I was in Europe, the creative go to was always Spain and Italy. Right. <laughs> and um, yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to see how different cultures can bring um, those those aspects to to the work, to the job, and to the to the organization. Um, uh-huh. It's funny because when we work, I worked primarily in government the last 15 to 18 years in government in Canada. And although there's this notion of wanting to be more global and this notion of wanting to be more inclusive, the reality is, is we're pretty monolithic in many ways. And it was Mm -hmm. interesting because when you have that, you have a very myopic perspective. You don't have that global perspective or that really broad strategic perspective, even because you're too... It's almost like you are you you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. And what you don't know is the, that those people on the other side of the planet have a different perspective. And if you mm. brought them in, then you would know. But because you don't know that they have a different perspective, you don't actually look for it. It's really weird. But um, I, lo- I love that. And I think that's an aspect of global global leadership that is um, far beyond a lot of people, to be honest, because they've not really expanded themselves to think about that. So I think it's awesome that you're you're kind of planting the seed that it's really important to look broadly and to look at what other Mm. people are doing and what other cultures even bring to the table.
1: um, I think that I I know you've got three kids, and I think that really starts in childhood. Mm -hmm. And which brings me back to my opening point, like the leadership when i was nine years old it yeah. actually goes back even further to probably one of my earliest memories where i'm sitting on the cutting room floor mm-hmm. um as my father figures editing commercials you know um right. and you know cultivating that global mindset in kids which you know by the nature of the internet they can now like explore yeah. pretty much anything Um, but I think it's really important to instill that leadership, um, scope and thinking like in childhood, because as you said, they carry it through.
0: Absolutely. What was the
1: word you used? The foundation. I can't remember what you said. It was a a lovely word. Um, they carried that through. Yeah. so how, yeah. how, how are you doing that? How, how are you doing that
0: with your kids? Yeah, we, uh, we, we do do that. And we try to do that through through either cultural exposure or it's sometimes through conversation, the television we watch, the movies we watch, um, mm. the conversations we have around race, around culture, around... We try different foods. Like, for example, like, if you look mm. at my difference, the difference between myself and my children, for example, is when I was growing up, I, I grew up at a pretty... I got to be honest, in a very, you know, standard white North American Catholic upbringing. So Mm. we ate bland food. There was no flavor in anything we ate. Everything was cooked to gray. It was, you know, there was nothing. That's just an example. Food is a huge, like to me, that's a huge connection to culture is food. Mm. It speaks volumes, right? And so Mm. I was, I think, uh, with my current husband, I would have been 28, sadly, when I first tried Indian food, like East Mm -hmm. Indian food flavored foods from like Pakistan and India.
1: Yeah. And
0: I remember thinking, this is amazing. I must've been Indian in my past life because I love this food, I can't get enough of it. And it was- what's funny is I was I felt like I missed out for the first 25, 28 years of my life, yeah. not having exposure to any other cultures really, quite frankly, other than like Chinese food, which is like takeout, tradi- you know, not traditional. Yeah. And so that's just one thing. But it's one thing that we do is we try to expose our kids to different flavors of food because there's a culture behind that flavor. And then you, they learn about the culture through that through that food, sort of why are they using these particular spices and where does it come from and what's the background? So it's a small it's a small thing. And I know it's a pretty it feels inconsequential to talk about food with respect to leadership, but it just, yeah. it's just one aspect of a great culture. Yeah. But it's important for, to start exposing your kids very young to different thinking, different lines of thinking. And, you know, if we go back to even our American counterparts just south of us and, quite frankly, the race issues that are happening there and here as well with our Indigenous folks. It's just the leadership piece is understanding how to how to own. And that's I think it comes down to leadership one one, right? How to own your accountability and. Um, and that's individually or or as a group of individuals or, 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 culture, how to own your accountability and then how to make reparations and how mm. do you do, that? you do that through relationship? You do that through communication. You don't do that through denial. You don't do that through, through, you know, um, ignoring, ignoring the issues as they are. It's really about mm. recognizing the problem, sitting with it saying, okay, mm. what part of this did I play? How can we make things better? And then having mm. that communication so to me i've always applied that and so it's the same with my kids we have communications like if i mess up like i lose my cool yeah i lost my shit yesterday so sorry about that that was not appropriate mm-hmm. how do we make this better how do we move on from this how do we right and we have those conversations to try to get them to learn early on so it's a it's a it's not easy and it's definitely a challenge but it's important um yeah
1: it's absolutely mm-hmm. critical because Like, the world is so much more than our backyard. Um, But the backyards, like, it's the foundation. It's really interesting that you mentioned, like, food and Indigenous, because, like, I grew up with, like, Japanese, Greek, Indian, Lebanese. Like, it was just a melting pot of, like, international cuisine and, like, local business owners. So that was, like, very normal from a young age. Um, and then the Indigenous piece, like, where I lived in Sydney, um, there wasn't a big population there. And I think it's, like, it, it's an interesting segue here to, like, parenting and the education system, like the ownership, like, on the education system to actually be, like, a surrogate guide if if parents aren't, say, educating them in that space. I don't feel, looking back, that I had enough right. education in the school system about um, our Indigenous people. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, on the childhood side of things, like, who's the ownership on? on it's not just the parents, it's, it's the education system, given that they're there five days a week.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, There's definitely a big piece to that because I remember going up to Rankin Inlet, which is in uh north in akawauit yeah. in our territory, and I was there for work and I remember talking to one of the elders in the in the environment there and in the city in the town, and they were in one of the shops and i they were telling me about uh, I kind of asked about their experience and their experience with racism. I was very blunt about mm. it. And one of the one of the stories they told me, which was impactful, was how up in in my lifetime, and I'm 50, in my lifetime, up until like the mid 70s to early 80s, um, our Inuit brethren were being essentially it, they were essentially slaves to to the mm. Canadian government. You know, where they mm. were working in the diamond mines and the gold mines because no one. No one in my color skin wanted to go down into the mines, So they had to find somewhere, someone to go down there. And mm. they would capture these men, put their children in residential schools and take their dogs away from them, take their weapons away from them, take their way of life away from them. Mm. And when I heard these stories, I was brought to tears because I'd mm. never heard these stories before because all I learned was colonialism. A little bit mm. of a segue here from leadership. But the point, the point I'm making is that when I heard those stories, I I remembered thinking, I know better now. Mm. And so I have to speak about this. And part of leadership is being brave and willing to say, no, what we learned was a lie. What we learned mm. was colonialism. What we learned was something different. What we yeah. need to do as leaders is be willing to open our ears up to the notion that what we learned may not have been entirely true. Mm. And that there's a lot of sub layers to to our indigenous communities that, mm. that we we were whitewashed from.
1: Mm. And
0: I think that as leaders, if we want to help grow our communities, we need to look at our, at our brethren who've been here well before our colonial family. Like, I, my family's been in Canada for over 300 years. So we were mm. a part of the problem, right? We yeah. were French Canadians. So our French Canadians coming in in Quebec killed a lot of car, you know, killed a lot of indigenous peoples in Quebec. And yeah. so... Um, know the Iroquois and the Mohawk and Mm. and I have family in my bread my bloodlines if I did a DNA today I'm sure I'm like you know 10% indigenous because Mm. they would would often mix in those time frames anyway part of the to bring it back to the notion of leadership though I Mm. I do feel like you said it's important to to apply leadership principles in every challenging aspect of life Mm. right whether it's like, again, for me, leadership is all about accountability, and it's about mm. building relationships that were maybe fractured because of something that happened. And you may not mm. have been the cause of it. Like, I remember taking on an executive role where there were a m- bunch of messes I had to clean up from the last one. Mm. I'm not the cause, but I still had to own up to it so that I can try to repair with the staff what had gone wrong. Mm. And so I think that's just part of the the experience of of, of being a leader in today's world, right?
1: yeah. Um, And you say like accountability, like making tough calls, like when you walk into something, making tough calls, but doing the due due diligence if you have to make those calls and putting the business case forward. Like I had a situation once where I came into something and I'm like, oh okay, and I had my crazy amber. you know this is like the vision um but there was a partner and i'm like they are just not up to chops at all. Right. you know revenue perspective uh creatively optimizing xyz it just mm-hmm. wasn't good enough and you know like partnerships go for a certain period of time you know having that conversation and separating ways that kind of thing it's it's in this situation, it was a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. So I had to just like, ta- I, I knew what was the, the best outcome and take, a, take the best approach possible I could with this company and give them every opportunity I could respectfully, mm-hmm. because they were obviously there for a reason to begin with, but at the same time, you know, recognize when they weren't stepping up and I was right, and then doing the legwork internally to actually okay. get the outcome that we needed. That the leadership there also felt comfortable because they mm-hmm. were nervous um, because they would be accountable because I was the one, you know, reporting up basically. Um, but yeah, it's about taking ownership.
0: Definitely. You shared with me a little bit of experience with with uh, Parkinson's and your your perspective around leadership in, in that mm. experience. I was wondering if, if you don't mind, if we can sort of maybe segue into that a little bit, because that's a really important message I think for people to hear is sort of what your experience mm. with the, your Parkinson's experience. I'm sure it's different from other people's experiences, but mm. what was your experience like with that? And what kind of leadership did you see that you want to share with the audience? Well, the
1: leadership I sought, and the leadership I saw and right. the leadership I endeavoured to cultivate was a reflection of my grandfather. Right. Um, he was, it was uh, anyone, you know, it's not just Parkinson's, it's any healthcare issue that any family faces or mm-hmm. your teammate or your colleague or your mate, it's, uh, it's not easy. You know and it's not just the patient it's everyone involved and you know witnessing someone you care about go through that um it's it's tough you know i don't know if you've been through anything like that before but
0: well as a as a nurse myself previous to being a, yeah. a leader and a coach um I was often on the other the other side of the spectrum. I mean, I've lost mm-hmm. family members to cancer and so on. But but the reality is is that as a as a nurse, I was usually on the other side of the coin, where I'd have to help
1: yeah.
0: guide people through the processes that they were experiencing and 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 support them through the process. It wasn't always easy. Um, mm. But the big thing that I I felt we we provided was the notion of advocacy, which I think I, I mm. know you value. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: and I think you had shared with me previously that you felt that nurses really made great leaders. So maybe we can expand oh on that a little bit, just to sort of get your perspective
1: on that. And I love that you're a nurse. Like, like I said to you, I'm like all for nurses. They're like uh, <laughs> one of the best caliber people in the world. So yeah, I'll um, yeah, you're talking about guiding people through things. So yeah, when I was in the thick of it, I was actually really quite strong. The emotion, I don't know, hit me a bit more the grief, but, like, when I was working in you know, it, it was quite emotionally intense for me. Right. Um, and, you know, I know as a nurse, you, the art of detachment is something that you're amazing at. Yeah, um, definitely. But it was, um, it's a very, uh, what's the word? Um, its It's a community that just goes for it. And I feel like, in a way, that filters down for Michael J. Fox. Right. And the legacy of Muhammad, just his his beast-like nature and his pure heart nature. I don't know. It feels like his spirit is within the community. That's the only way I can describe it. Mm -hmm. And Michael, like, going for as long as he has... Even if someone doesn't realise it, there is that halo effect of their spirit amongst the global Parkinson's community. And I had the opportunity to work with a pioneer in neurorehabilitation and Parkinson's exercise therapy in Australia, and she actually did the first global online summit for Parkinson's. So you talk about, like, innovation, taking a risk, which I know you love as a leader. Like, she was all in. And everything was, like, within reason, A yes, Like, how do we make this happen? You know, I'd throw something yeah. on the table. It's like. And then everyone else was the same way. So because we worked with, like, 10 Parkinson's uh, charities globally, like India, Ireland, USA, uh, New Zealand, UK, like it was a, again that 360 that I talked about. Right. Um, yeah. So, um, and then I got to see how the healthcare system worked and, you know, the neurologists and the re- uh, researchers and the dance teachers. It was like this whole 360. Like, I don't, like, if, if you haven't been exposed to disease in your family um, and you haven't really been sick yourself, or even if you have been sick, I don't think people realise what goes on in the back end, like, and how many people are involved in treatment, in cure, in prevention. It's like this massive machine. So, yeah, I just loved... Um, Yes, yeah, it's, it's that anything is possible mindset, and every everyone just mucking in together to get it done. Um, yeah,
0: I, lo- I love that. It is a massive, yeah. a massive team of people that usually are helping um, those that yeah. are struggling with various health issues. That's for sure. And I know mm-hmm. as a nurse, one of my one of my strongest, probably the best use of my assertiveness skills was was being the advocate. I often had to fight for fight for my patients needs Mm. um because they couldn't speak for themselves so we had to be their advocates for them it's probably the for me i think that experience of being a nurse frontline nurse especially in an emergency room environment really set the tone for me in terms of being able to manage critical thinking and being able Mm. to work through massive problems and then still advocate for people uh under those really tough circumstances it set me up for being able to be an executive and it's mm-hmm. funny that you talk about how we are purposely able to kind of hide our own mm-hmm. uh, pain because we have to be strong for our clients, and that includes mm-hmm. their families. Yeah. But I have to tell you, as a healthcare professional, we internalize that, and there's mm-hmm. a reason why burnout rates are so high with healthcare professionals because yeah. we tend to internalize that. We have alcohol rates and drug use rates that are higher mm-hmm. than other professions because that's how we cope in our sixth sense yeah. of humor. Uh, that people don't understand sometimes it comes from that as well. So it's a way of coping. Uh, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Can I, I yeah. do want to touch on that because you've been kind enough to invite me on here. And, and as I said to you, when we caught up before doing this, like, I think that's one of your most unique qualities. Right. Like, I've been it- in the front line with my grandfather and the nurses and aged care guys taking care of, I know how your mind works Mm -hmm. and you know that leadership in high-pressure situations, um, your ability to communicate, prioritise what's best for the patient, making tough calls when you have to, pushing the envelope, knowing how far to push it. Um, And then I've seen the nurses in Parkinson's exactly the same. Yeah. And pioneers as well, um, you know, doing things in Africa and just just game changers basically, and yeah. having that full three sixty view. My concern, which um, was very prevalent during COVID, um, which I don't know, is that ten x a hundred fold pressure situation. You got you see, I feel like in such an explicit way, it was like the first time of seeing vulnerability in nurses, you know, you've got Mm -hmm. the one that was on the news and she was just like bawling her eyes out. And I Mm -hmm. saw various things like that. It's like, um, and this is about caring about your team and who's the ownership on, um, you know, the individual but also the leaders, like the nurses in your, your hospital or wherever it is. Their mental health is more important. Their, their mental health, their physical health is more important than anything. Mm-hmm. So it's like what tools are you providing nurses to monitor their own health? Like are you paying for their exercise? Are you, you know, assisting with their food? What are you doing to get them access to, like, self-monitoring tools, whether it's an Apple Watch or whatever it is? Um Because, because, yeah, I mean, like seeing seeing a nurse stress is or upset is it's I I feel their pain because I know how strong they are. And a nurse has to be pushed so far um, to get into that state. Like I met one uh, during COVID to get my jab. And there's just something about her. I'm like, well, there's something about all nurses. <laughs> yes. But um it's just something about her. And I was like, oh, like, what's your background? And um have you always been doing this in this clinic? And uh, she's like, no, I used to be in aged care. And I went, Oh yeah. I'm just like, oh, I've got too much. I got too emotionally attached. It was too and I I don't think she said she was good at it, but there was some, either I just knew she was or there was some scope of she really loved it, but it just became too much. And she said, in here, they come in, they go out, I do my job. And obviously she does it with care and all that kind of thing, her nature. Um, But she didn't have, I guess, that level of intensity of consistency that you get in aged care. And obviously it wasn't um emergency related. But, yeah, it was like she did what was best for her, which is what leaders should do. Um, so then she could take her learnings there and apply them in an environment where she's going to to thrive. But I could tell that she loved it. It was just, um, you know, maybe she had other stuff going on. You just you mm-hmm. never know. Um, Yeah, it's sort of
0: the example of like when you when you when you take a flight and they tell you about how you have to put your oxygen mask on first before you help the guy next to you. Yeah, I think similarly, nurses for many, many decades, eons, and I think in part, I hate to bring the gender back into this, but in part because it was for many decades, primarily a female profession in many countries Mm. is
1: Mm.
0: women are often taught to put themselves aside for others and so they they brought this into the profession and so they don't put their oxygen mask on and then they wonder why they're burnt out and they're and they're dropping like flies essentially Mm. um so I think it really is important it was a lesson I had to learn I also left the profession because I was burnt out in emergency um I left to go to a government job because I didn't want to work shifts anymore I couldn't Mm. do I couldn't see myself raising a family with shifts and I was tired of being abused I was assaulted mm. every day at work physically verbally emotionally psychologically yeah. assaulted every day of my job so I got tired of doing that so I think you're right there is an element of um learning to self-care that I had to mm. I ignored when I was an executive by the way I ignored it and it mm. burned me out and it was only when I started to really look inward and become more self-aware which again is mm. one of self of leadership is self-leadership you need to learn yeah, how to be exactly. self-aware. And I started to learn how to be self-aware and journal uh, yeah. is when I was able to start taking care of myself. So, yeah. so yeah, how did you definitely- take care of yourself during that whole experience? What were some of the tactics that you used? Cause you were leading, you were a job, you're a leader, you have a, a day job that you have to manage. Plus you have what's going on with your grandfather. So how did you manage this yourself from a stress management perspective?
1: Um, uh, I don't know that. Hmm. Um, uh doing (laughs) which isn't always the best way I think right um like and then that was pushing it down gotcha um but at the same time it helped me be there in the way that I needed to be um because I feel like when he was here I did everything that I could you know I flew up, I think it was like once a month um, because we were in different states. Mm -hmm. Um, I And, you know, talking about that flexibility, like I arranged with part of the self-care was like trying to cut out that travel, you know, like the thing of like going up there, it being a short time frame, oh, okay, I've got to put everything I can into this like two days, three days with my grandma and my grandma and, like, try and give them all the juice I can and then then go back. Like, that was just becoming a bit too much. So I organised at one point to, to work from up here, which was such a relief because they were, like, just there, you know what I mean? It was like being at, being at their fingertips. But I, I, I didn't talk about it much to anyone which maybe I could have done because it was all, it was all, like pushed down. So like as I said, like when the well, the grief came later, and then the knock-on effect of all of that right. came later too. But if I had of, I'm glad that I did it the way that I did because I can't change it now. But because I was strong as anything at the time, um, mm. but not not taking care of myself as much as I could have probably impacted you know post post passing
0: yeah and then you also shared with me some that you had sort of been offered a pretty high level executive role that you declined can you share a little bit about that because I think this is an issue that a lot of us struggle with and I say us Mm -hmm. again I'm coming back to the gender of women because we tend to have a lot on our shoulders so can you just share real quickly, sort of some of that experience that you and the decision-making process for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was there has been so many roles over the years since I was the age of 26, and I'm 40 now, mm-hmm. and um, and there were senior roles and regional and and. It's not that I didn't think I could do it. I was more than confident that I had yeah. the skill set and the vision and understanding how all of it worked. Right. Um, and I supported these organizations even though I didn't go into that space mm-hmm. as if I was in that role. You right. know what I mean? Yep. But um, you know, I've I've you talk about self-care and self-leadership. I've spent so much time trying to um like develop myself like seeing you know psychologists and doing personal development and you know we're always constantly evolving um but you know i used to drink a bit it wasn't like every day but it was just there was there was different things where i was like i and i i knew the demands of those roles Mm -hmm. like hardcore you know because i reported into them um and I was concerned about my health mm-hmm. and that something might happen to me um if I had have had um maybe the environment or some some someone that could have helped me work through that um maybe I would have said yes but I feel like I kept I kept going no this isn't this isn't the right time, you right. know. It was it was conscious leadership. It was me knowing that I had to work on myself mm-hmm. because I didn't want something to happen, and I wanted to be able to take care of my team. You know that was so. So I still did it in whatever capacity, but I didn't have the big flashy title. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, it was um, it was basically um, about that. And then there was one. Then I was finally like, oh, my God, I've got to bloody do this. <laughs> um, and there was an opportunity and uh, money money discussion came in too early. Hmm. Um, but at the same time, it probably wasn't the right opportunity. Um, who knows? You know, like, um, I don't know, but. Yeah, that didn't happen.
0: So I think it's interesting, and I and I applaud you. I uh, applaud you for for listening to your inner self because our inner guide is really important. Mm-hmm. I think we tend to ignore that. Um, the money sometimes encourages us to take it right, and then mm-hmm. and, and then the other thing that really struck me was you know the notion that if if I had someone who could have walked me through this or helped me through this, so that, that's to me that's that speaks mentor. If so you had had a mentor that could have mm-hmm. someone who maybe was a high level. You won't, maybe even a female but but a high level senior advisor who could have said to you, this is sort of the process and here's yeah. how I can support you if you had had a mentor that you may have made a different decision but ultimately it was just it came down to timing for you
1: came yeah, down to time. And I, yeah and I think you know it, I hear people so often go, what well, could I have done differently like yeah. you know, different just, well no I'm sorry yeah. it's happened. That is history. That has been written. You can't change it. It's your life. It's your journey. It's your past. It is what it is. So I have to have resolve in the fact that I Mm -hmm. made the right decisions at the time because that's what my gut told me. Um, And I can't look back with regret because that just sucks the life out of you. Um, And I don't recommend that anyone does that. I think reflection is really important um but don't live in regret for things you didn't do because generally speaking like you know you go with what you feel is right and I've there's times where I haven't trusted my gut instinct but the bulk of the time I have and this was I think really critical because you know when I lead and I do it well um and I I care about people all the time but if if I was in that state, it was like, as I said, the, des- the decision was rooted in me being concerned about my health and that I wanted to be able to lead the hundred people on the t- whatever it was going to end up being. If okay. I did go that path, a lot of people, you know? Yeah,
0: exactly. Um,
1: so, you know, um, I feel good now.
0: So th- so that's great. Yeah. Um... I mean, Given the amount that given that we, we've already been chatting for 45 minutes, I can't even get over really? this
1: like flying yeah. by so quick.
0: Um so given the time, uh what's next for Amber? What's next for you?
1: Oh look, I am just gagging um to lead. Um and lead on something that's big picture, high impact, global impact. Um, that's where I'm moving towards. Um, as I said, my brain just the way it thinks and how i see things that can thread together mm-hmm. um, it really like i feel that as my skin just tingled <laughs> <laughs> um you know like because i i had that experience i met the president of a global um organization when i was 20 years old like and i traveled when i was younger so i had that exposure from that you know that was there from the beginning and um you know it's my responsibility to that heritage but also my capacity to build on what i've already done but take it like you know however many levels higher like infinite (laughs)
0: Um, so perhaps as we as we kind of wrap up today tell me a little bit about um your your latest passion around the parkinson's disease piece and i'll just i'll post up the the website for people to check out
1: oh my god so the pd avengers are led by patient advocates they're always working harder than anyone else um and they're basically a global alliance to end parkinson's to support parkinson's to make it fun, um, to drive partnerships that deliver change, whether it's the National Parkinson's Act in the US government or putting forward plans to the World Health Organisation. You know, you can have localised execution, but if you have in anything that you do, there's this global, like, visionary that's, like, leading the charge with, an umbrella story and bringing everyone together and executing um, it can really change the game for you so if you're if you have parkinson's or you work in a field that is um directly related or you're interested in supporting that um that disease which doesn't have enough global profile it's actually the um, fastest neurological or um, the fastest growing neurological disorder in the world uh, doubled in the last 25 years number of patients and it's set to double in the next 18. So the curve is actually going steeper. Um, and we'd love your support. Like the Foxy, like the day Foxy. So go to, I love that man. Seriously, he's the best. He's one of our best.
0: We're very proud of him in Canada. <laughs>
1: yeah, He's just yeah. like. I don't know he's just but like all of them like I've got um another friend Matt Eagles and I call him Sir Matt Eagles cuz I want him to get knighted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh manifest it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's in the UK and uh he's had Parkinson since he's 7. I think he's 52 now. Wow. That man just He's so positive and he's Head of Patient Advocacy at Have Us Links, you know what I mean? The patients patients and the carers and he's had it. He's been shaking for 45 years. You know, he's got DVS. But he's like abseiled down buildings and fly foxed across the countryside and Mm -hmm. stood up on one of those old school planes on the top and... um, (laughs) what he hasn't done he's nuts i love him (laughs) um yeah he's like michael um with his own northerner english way so yeah you've got you've got you know like pd avengers have this like global alliance and then you've got real pioneers in the space like the lady that set up the um the parkinson summit here melissa mcconaughey and michael and and sorry there's so many of them i can rattle off i don't know Mm -hmm. how many names but yeah get please get behind us because it's um it's a disease that well everyone needs support but if you if if i've compelled you in any way before why don't you just have a look on the link they have zoom meetings. you can drop easily drop in
0: definitely yeah well, thanks for being here on my very first inaugural podcast. I do appreciate you taking the time, Amber, for being here. And uh, certainly keep in touch. I'd love to hear more about – I'm going to visit PDA Ventures myself. I didn't uh, have the website before today, so I'm going to go take a look.
1: And yeah, uh, awesome. hopefully
0: my my um, folks watching this will go and visit the website as well and, and support the cause.
1: Thanks yeah, awesome. again. You can come tomorrow. This is Zoom call.
0: <laughs> awesome. Talk soon. Thanks again yeah. for being here.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I feel honored and I learned a lot and I'm so excited for how this is going to evolve for you when you have more guests and leaders. Thanks.
0: I love this part of the the gig. It's been, it's been fun.
1: Yeah, it has. Take care. Cheers.